Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Spotlight Series, where we discuss the technologies, the companies, and the people that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail. Today, Anna and I are thrilled because today we're taking our podcast in a little bit of a different direction, talking to a guest that specializes in something that we don't often quite talk about on this show, but I'm pretty excited to do so. And that guest is Anna Fabrov, the general manager of PepsiCo Labs. Anna, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for being my first uh, live podcast, live is this on your, video. This is your first podcast, huh? Yeah. All right. Awesome. We always love that. Always, It's always fun. So, you know, like we always tell everybody, just act natural and everything will go great. Just act natural. <laughs> just act natural. <laughs> with, with a microphone No stress with a microphone and headset on. But, yeah. uh, but hey, no, I'm, I, as I said in the opening, I'm, I'm pretty excited and I know Anna's too to talk to you today because I think you know, on the CPG side of things, you know, not only is retail changing, but it's definitely changing on the CPG side of things too. And especially in terms of just how people shop with e-commerce, how people are shopping in store. And so given your role and just the uniqueness of it, I imagine there's some incredible perspective you can bring there. So why don't we start with just the obvious question too, in terms of who you are, what's your background, you know, what is your job uh, with PepsiCo? Okay, happy to start. So thank you um, for having me. And I have to say that my background and, and passion is all about consumer and consumer goods. I've spent most of my career in the CPG industry. I've started in, in Procter & Gamble, and probably you know that this is kind of a growth from within. So everybody starts at entry level. There was sure. no life before Procter & Gamble. <laughs> and um, I started really small on the kind of commercial operations of one category in one country. It was Israel in that case. Mm. And kind of I, I grew from one role to the other, expanding my capabilities from you know, across finance, um, commerce, strategy, new product launches um, from one category to multiple categories, uh, many brands, and kind of my last role was leading global finance operations for one of the global um, global BUs, right? So mm-hmm. um, I've experienced the industry, I think, from different angles across the value chain, from kind of the market manufacturing different levels, um, and kind of PepsiCo Labs is a natural extension of, of that journey, right? So trying to kind of... Um, use my experience and understanding of this value chain and, and drive significant innovation and disruption to this industry, which, you know, is, is not a new industry. It's harder for us than the native tech companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And, and how long have you been in the role and then how long has PepsiCo Labs existed? So I've started almost two years ago, and this is about as long as PepsiCo Labs existed. Okay. So we are a founding team of two. Uh, We started as a founding team of two. We've now expanded, um, and we are five across the world, and we will not be much more. So we will grow a bit, but the, the goal is to keep it really, really small and agile. And what, and, and what is the overall mission? What are you charged with accomplishing then, say, when you guys set out to do this two years ago? Our, our goal was kind of to, um, to bridge the world of startup technology and PepsiCo. And you can okay. imagine, this is really not easy. We are a giant and it's not easy for us to work with those small companies and they, they operate differently, right? So we are kind of the bridge. We are connecting the two sides, hold hands with both. And what we do is pretty simple. So we follow three simple steps. We identify um, the right startup technology. We test it in PepsiCo, so in a real PepsiCo environment. And then if the test is successful, we scale. So we're a bit different than the classical model of investing in brands. Um, which is a bit kind of easier for us to understand as this is the core. So we focus more on the deep tech. So that's kind of the new 
the new news, right, about that for PepsiCo. Mm -hmm. And Anna, how are you finding the companies, the startups that you're, you're bringing into PepsiCo Labs? Um, so we start with the problem to solve, right? With the need. We oh. work with the function, um, with the function head and their team. Usually it's the transformation teams. It's the engineering innovation team. If it's the manufacturing, it's kind of the digital marketing. So the, the cutting edge teams in PepsiCo, we work with them on identifying um, the problem to solve. So where they're trying to go and how can startup technology bridge, bridge the gap or enhance their journey um, to get there. And, and then when you have the problem to solve, it makes it much easier. Then we go out to the external ecosystem. We look for, um, for the right startups that can potentially solve the problem. And, and this is kind of the important piece. We leverage the expertise of PepsiCo to identify the right solution, right? Because probably we have a lot of the world experts, right? People, I mean, PepsiCo has been a leader in the industry for so long. So many of our people know the problem deeply. And that helps us identify among the 10 potential solutions, which one has the best potential for PepsiCo. And so are, are these startup companies reaching out to PepsiCo? Like, how do they get involved with you? Or, or what are you doing to kind of stay curious? Um, I, I imagine some of those leaders with their expertise are staying on top of those trends. But I mean, how do, how do startups kind of find you or get involved with this when you have a problem to solve? Um, I think we work top down, bottom up. So we always have a pipeline of things coming, right? Even if this is not the right time, we have a database, we get things from the ecosystem, startups approach us directly, we get things from our, um, you know, PepsiCo counterparts that go out to conferences and see those amazing new solutions. And we always have that um, kind of on, on the back burner. Um, and then when we have the specific brief, we know what is the problem that we want to solve now, we reach out. So we reach out to our database, but we also reach out to the ecosystem. We have connections probably to most um, VCs, other innovation organizations, our peers, so other CPGs that have similar organizations, academia, you name it, right? It's a very big ecosystem. And um, we make sure that we have good connections with everybody, right? So when I have a brief, I just reach out to them. When they have something that they think um, can be relevant for PepsiCo, they send it over to us. And I thought the key point you said there too is like, because uh, I didn't really even realize this going in, you're really looking across the entire value chain that you're involved in. Is that right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Oh. So PepsiCo is huge, right? We are an agriculture company because we are almost 8% of the world. Wow. Potatoes. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Um, okay. We are a trucking company because we are the single largest private fleet of trucks in the world. Hmm. We are, you know, we have um, armies of people doing um, kind of distribution, driving our trucks. We have uh, merchandisers that are all our people because we are the largest DSD direct store delivery. And obviously a huge marketing right. company. So everything from, you know, right. you name it, yeah. we call it the How field the to fork, yeah. right? Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And then your, your, your position is really unique too, in the sense of, and because I know we we're talking about this before we got started, you're actually based in Israel. I'm curious, like what advantages, I mean, a lot of companies have quote unquote labs, but you know, that's a really unique position for you to be in, in terms of, you know, being based in Israel, which, you know, in a lot of ways is almost kind of at the center of the world in terms of where all the startup activity is happening, both geographically. And then also you guys have, you know, the moniker startup nation. I'm just curious, how does that play into your role? Just the actual geography of where you are? Yeah. So I'm, I'm based in Israel, but I, I travel a lot, but I agree that Israel, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I spent half of my time outside of Israel, but Israel has been really kind of at the center. So it's one of the largest ecosystems, but 
it's not as large as, as the US one, no. obviously, but right. it's much more dense, mm-hmm. right? So things are smaller here. It's easier to do tests here. It's easier to fail here. Um, and I think that about two years ago, when we, when we initially set this up and, and we knew that we want to start somewhere, we need to learn how to work with startups. There's no playbook, right? Mm-hmm. There's no playbook in the sense that PepsiCo have never done it before, but also there's no one size fits all. So we interviewed a lot of people um, from other companies and, and other um, startups and VCs, and we've learned what worked for them. And then we've spent about well, almost a year testing this in Europe. So we did not even go to the US. We just focused on Europe. We focused on, on three functions in Europe. Um, and we focused a lot on the Israeli ecosystem as a source for technology. And we just kind of created that model. Right? So PepsiCo can learn how to work with startups, how to create that ways of working. And we've built that playbook that is right for PepsiCo. Again, there's no one size fits all. Each company needs to figure out um, the best way. And then um, when we had that model, at least kind of um, an idea of how this should look like, then we've expanded um, to other parts of the world. Oh, okay. Where else, where, how else, like, how does that come about? How does that come yeah. to fruition, what you just mentioned? So actually, I think... We are very active in the U.S. now. We're working mm-hmm. with our two businesses there. We have the beverages and the snack side. Each of mm-hmm. them are kind of, you know, massive businesses, completely separate. Um, we have a bit of activity and a bit of piloting in Latin America, but I think that U.S. and Europe will continue to be the significant focus um, mm-hmm. for us because this is where uh, the biggest potential is, right? The U.S., this is the biggest revenue. They are very advanced in terms of the technology that we use. So PepsiCo is very advanced in the U.S., and we want to even enhance that. I'm curious too, because part of my question too is like kind of just even geographically, you kind of sit in the middle of the kind of east-west nexus of all that's happening in terms of retail consumer products. How how does the, how does the Asian influence impact your role day to day with with Pepsi? It doesn't influence us yet, but this is okay. our next. This is our next. It's the next goal. frontier. So I was supposed to be in China in March. Okay, Obviously, that's not going to happen now. But right. yes, we we had a whole trip organized around new ways um, of go to market, so new ways to do delivery because I think China have they've reinvented right, so they did not right. take what the West has and then improve that. They just created a whole new way to do go to market, and that's what we wanted to learn in China, probably. We'll get there a few months from now when everything settles down. Well, you've only been at it for two years. You can't conquer the world <laughs> right. in two years, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, Anna, let's dive a little bit deeper into that that direct fulfillment, thinking about um, especially ch- trends that we're seeing in China with hyperlocal fulfillment, um, checkout free technology, um, kind of impacting where the grocery and convenience space is headed and PepsiCo having a large stake in that. What What is that technology changed um, for PepsiCo and as you're thinking about the types of brands um, and startups that you would partner with? It's a great question because we are really um, seeing a lot of disruption in the past years and this is all very exciting for us because it opens up a whole new world of opportunities um, to satisfy our consumer. We're all about, you know, we're very consumer centric and this gives us um, the opportunity to serve our consumers with the right product at the right time and the right delivery method. I think this is kind of the the magical um, combination, right? Um, And this is, you know, this is where exactly startups uh, um, come in um, because startups disrupt the industry. They are one of the core components in our ability to beat 
to be disruption and, and, and the force behind innovation. So this is why it's so critical for PepsiCo to learn how to work with startups. I can give an example, right? So I think a kind of direct fulfillment was one of the things we've, um, we've kind of chat about. So as um, you know, being the largest direct store um, delivery DSD, this is a core, core, core capability for us. And we're constantly working on, um, on improving that. And um, I, can, I can give you kind of some of, you know, some of um, the examples that I have in mind on how we think about it. So when you think of, it all starts with the right assortment in the store. Right, what we call precision assortment. I don't know if you've probably heard the term. No, um, no, what is that? No, yeah. so precision assortment is being moving away from you know twenty planograms um, that are being applied across two hundred thousand stores in the U.S. Right. Um, to a dynamic assortment. So a dynamic planogram that is designed for each specific store for each specific shopper segment um, that visits that store that right. changes based on local events that you know if i take it even further changes based on weather based on time of day right. so to do that you need to collect a lot of data real time you need to have exactly you need to have real-time data um, you need to understand your shopper insight so what the shopper wants you need to understand mm -hmm. your inventory in the store at any given moment and then after you have the data so you you kind of do the data acquisition piece you need to analyze that data get the insights but then you need to translate those insights into actions that the operational teams can take, right? Because you sometimes when you sit in a headquarter or in a global kind of role, then you envision a lot of things, but then the translation of that to something that can be executed is really, really hard, mm -hmm. right? If you think of our salesperson who needs to sell, he doesn't have time to you know, do a lot of the things that we ask them to do. Mm -hmm. And then if you take one step back, so, how do you support that with an agile supply chain in manufacturing, right? Right, that's How exactly you... where my head was going. Exactly, yeah. right? So moving away from the large warehouses outside of the cities and with mm -hmm. a lot of trucks going up and down the store supplying the product, this doesn't mm -hmm. work anymore. Mm -hmm. So how do you go closer with micro-fulfillment centers to the city center? How do you find mm -hmm. new ways of, or new models of go-to-market and going back to China, right? So trucks do not work anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. You need to find other ways to supply your product. You need to automate a lot of the work that um, was done manually in the past. So again, you see how technology is, is a key enabler in the vision. And, and we um, we have startup kind of partners in each step of the way. We test those things now separately. The vision is to combine everything to a holistic end-to-end -end solution in the future. What's an example of that? Because I actually, I mean, that was incredibly elucidating for me too, because as you're talking about kind of the flexible real-time planogram nature of, of what you need to accomplish across just thousands of stores, I had never thought about the direct store delivery network of the supply chain being an incredible advantage for you guys in trying to do that when I imagine every brand is out there probably right. theorizing that, but not everyone can do it. And many people are probably still in control of the retailer being able to do that, but you guys are in quite a unique position. So yeah, what is an, what's an example or a, a double click into that whole concept that you can give us in terms of something that you see that's working? Yeah. So we're looking at anything from kind of gig economy is, is a, big thing for everybody hmm. right okay at least now and okay. we have a lot of people in the store so when you think of our um of our merchandisers we have a lot of people at any given time in the mm -hmm. stores doing different things you have a driver okay. you have a salesperson you have a merchandiser but our sales force is 
quite stable while our sales fluctuate because you always have mm -hmm. the, the big weekends where you need more people. Um, so that's not necessarily the most effective use of, of people. So we are, you know, we still have our core sales force, merchandising team, et cetera, but we're trying to enhance that with a flexible workforce mm -hmm. to give us that ability to, um, to do fulfillment. Because as you mentioned, we are doing our own fulfillment and our own mm -hmm. merchandising in store. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. We actually just, we did a podcast, oh gosh, how long ago, Anne, was it? Probably probably four or five months ago now with Shift. That does yeah. That whole type of concept, trying to bring that to market. So, no, that makes a ton of sense. What, where, I think that's a great high-level umbrella. And I think that's, that's also key to always what we do, you know, here at OmniTalk. What, any other spots where, you know, you look at that concept in general of trying to be real, more real-time and flexible that you think are, you know, worth exploring just in general for the industry? Um. We look a lot at, um, you know, th there's a new way of looking at our small stores because when you think of our smaller kind of every bodega store that buys a case of, you know, 15 bags of chips, mm -hmm. um, they act a lot of times like a single household. Mm -hmm. So you need to think of how you bring that type of service and that type of kind of, you know, our consumer understanding, apart from the classical consumer, is also a small store owner that buys a basket that can be, you know, a household basket. So how do you do that in a more effective way? Because again, sending a truck to every store does not solve the problem anymore with everything happening. Right, everything's so, so available on demand. Yep. Yeah, so we're testing, I mean, I... I cannot go into details, but we're sure. testing five different solutions to service the small stores. Each of them is very different. Anna, how are you thinking about, like, as we we talk about Amazon Go, you know, now expanding their technology and possibly considering franchising, you know, that puts the small footprint that you're talking about, the bodegas, in and ultimately a new light. You have more data, I imagine, coming in. Um, are, how are you guys thinking about that? Is that part of the, the five uh, tests that you're going through now? Can you talk a little bit about that? So this is not one of the five tests, but it is something, it's, it's an area that we've been looking at closely. Obviously, we cannot have a direct impact because we don't have a retail, you know, we don't have a chain of retail stores, but we are very open to partnering with retailers, big or small. Um, because each of us has a different piece of the puzzle when you think right. of, you know, the data that they have. They have their own data for their own store in a detailed way that we do not have, but we also have everybody else's data around them, mm -hmm. right? And we are also able to fulfill, because of our DSD model, mm -hmm. right? When we have a live indication about an out of stock, we are able to supply the store immediately and close the loop, right? So they don't lose right. sales. And usually our products are, um, you know, our, our margin sweeteners. So they're products that the retailers are happy to sell. and if there's no product, it's just kind of, you know, money that they lose with every second. That yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. I want to kind of go off that a little bit too, because actually it's funny. It's funny how the timing works. I spent, I spent all day yesterday um, speaking and then participating in, an, in kind of an all day event for, a, for another CBG that is pretty well known in, in, in a similar space in the convenience, I would say in the convenience based space, uh, um, really around like chocolates. Um, and yeah, it was interesting for me to sit and, and engage in the day because I think it was a little bit what Ann just said in terms of like, you know, the physical experience is changing with say Amazon go style checkout free experiences. And you know, what does that mean? You know, in terms of like kind of that impulse purchase at the end of that, 
But then alongside of that, you've also got, you know, e-commerce continuing to grow in penetration. So it's almost like there's a battle on two fronts for the CPGs. Um, and it makes sense in terms of like, you know, what you're saying in terms of uh, DSD and how that's an advantage. But I'm just curious, like, even if I just step back 30,000, 60,000, you know, foot view with your extensive background, you know, uh, in the CPG business, how do you think about what I just said, that kind of two-sided battle that you guys are up against? Um, look, we're, we're, again, being so consumer centric, we want to mm -hmm. reach the consumer no matter where they are. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not for us, it's not one, um, it's not a zero sum game. Right. right. We want to make sure that the consumer can access our product. If it's on e-com, if it's on, you know, the physical store and we all know physical stores are not going anywhere. Probably there is, there's mm -hmm. some change happening They're, They will transform, but they are still here. Mm -hmm. Um, so we have, you know, we, and the data is a significant play on both ends. On the e-com side, how do you make better, um, uh, better targeting of your consumer? And then in-store, how do you supply that constantly? How you keep having a product on shelf? Right. And then keep it end-to-end, -end, which sounds like actually for you guys would be a complete, you know, advantage when you think about every aspect of, like you said, from farming to the supply chain. To, to understand what those answers ultimately could be. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what, you know, my understanding from this conversation. Mm -hmm. Anna, how, there's five of you that are running <laughs> this team and you have all of these initiatives. Um, how are you prioritizing the types of things that you're yeah. looking into? I'm yeah, really- that, Great question. Yeah, it, it is a great question. Um, because the challenge here is how do you solve the right problem, right? How do you- yeah make sure that you touch right. the critical uh, problem. And we do that by engaging the leaders of PepsiCo early on and getting their guidance. So we start kind of here again, we work top down and bottom up because you need the PepsiCo leaders, the function heads to tell you or to tell the team, this is what I need you to go after. This is what you need to solve. Right. And okay. sometimes it's, you know, it's a big problem to drive our revenue. Sometimes it's a big problem to solve our, our um, manufacturing kind of increase effectiveness, et cetera. And, and we look at them. So we look at the company strategy and we kind of double click on that to find the right problem to focus on. Mm -hmm. I, off that point too, Anne and I both having worked for a innovation lab right. inside of a company, um, what is your, having done it now for two years, maybe what is the one or maybe two or three pieces of advice you would give to other people in the industry, whether retail or CBG, thinking about starting up that type of initiative? What are maybe two or three do's or don'ts if you're going to do it well? Oh, it's a tough question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know I get asked it all the time too. So right. I'm actually wanting to see what you yeah. say so I can answer it We're better myself. This. <laughs> yeah. So I think the do's are, I mean, we are hyper collaborative and very transparent. Okay. We are trying to, and PepsiCo is a very, very big company. So transparency, um, is, key. Mm -hmm. transparency is key. It's key because a lot of teams work in silos. And then, you know, if I develop something in my lab or if I develop mm -hmm. something for my a solution that is for my specific BU, mm -hmm. the scale question mm -hmm. is very tough after. Right? Yeah. If you do not talk to the commercial teams, if you do not talk, you know, have scale in mind constantly. And this is the one measure. If there's one measure that my team is measured on is scale. Can you scale? It's, mm -hmm. That's exactly. great. This is great advice. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, so this is, and, and then again, we have Couldn't so many agree great, more. 
great people in, in the company. We bring together people who've been working on um, parallel solutions without talking to each other until now. And a lot of times we just bring them all to the, to the table and trying to kind of use collective um, knowledge and collective thinking to solve one problem. And again, in, in a company like ours that is so big, you often have that. And, and kind of, we always try to bring everybody to the same page because there's a lot of knowledge to be shared. Right, so we can roll parallel pilots, one in the U.S., one in Europe, test different things, and then just share learnings because you know there's no point in doing it in in an isolated mode. Yeah, I love that actually. I think those are two great points. I might steal those from you if you don't mind. But yeah, <laughs> be real about what how things are going, which I think there's also a tendency to overpromise in a lot of these efforts, and then keep in mind whether it can scale. Like, is it worth focusing on? You know, yeah. I can add one more. Yeah, please. I'm thinking of one more. Yeah, I think, no, I was, I was hoping that would happen. All right. In, 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 in the corporate world, a lot of times we talk about um, successes. So we like to celebrate, you know, great launches, product launches, um, and we don't talk about failures. Mm-hmm. How well, do you guys do that well? So we try to surface. We don't necessarily celebrate the failure, but at least we try not to hide it. We try to surface it, to surface it as quickly as possible so we can take the decision. You know, sometimes when you look at the VC model, right? So mm-hmm. most of the startups fail and that's okay. That's the mentality that we're trying to bring. Not everything yep. needs to be a success. You no. want to test it quickly. If that's not the right solution, just shut it down and move on. Mm-hmm. But as long as you try it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're trying to surface with the leaders so they can take the decision quickly and if this is not the right solution, let's just, you know, park it and move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the advice. When I get asked that question, that's always the advice I give is like, know your time horizon for your commitment and how much you're going to spend each year. And then just be conscious of what the failures are and what the successes are. But don't judge it by each individual project. Look at it in total as you've made that commitment. I think it makes a ton of sense. That way you don't get trapped and, you know, look at one thing versus another. No, exactly. So, Anna... I think we're going to close you out on this <laughs> if you're ready for us. Oh, I am. We're, we're going to play How Millennial Are You? And I'm going to go through three questions. Um, and we will start with the first one, which is, uh, when the option is available, when I'm in the convenience store, or you're in the convenience store in this case, getting your PepsiCo products, uh, are you paying for them with a mobile payment or credit card or cash? I'm embarrassed to say it's never cash. I never have cash, but so I've, I've moved on, you know, from, from having cash to, um, to only credit card. Literally, I don't have a wallet, but in Israel, the mobile payment is not developed at all. Um, so I'm That's waiting. Right. Yeah, I'm very, yeah. yeah. Which is very surprising. We are very developed in other areas and right. we are very behind on that specifically. And it's a regulation question. So that will be solved. But at this point, it's, it's only credit card because I don't have any other option, but I'm very open to like, for me, it's as quickly as possible as, you know, as quickly as I can get out of the store. And when you travel a lot too, so like with the credit card, because I'm curious, especially yeah. But then I travel. travel with a corporate Amex. And do you There's tap no the credit mobile. card or do you insert no, it? No, I have. I can show it to you. So it's it's yeah. untappable. It's right? untappable. Like it's, the, it's untappable. Oh, it's I have like a chip. I feel like I'm in the nineties. Oh my gosh! <laughs> like oh, my the God. Chip. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That's crazy. That's crazy. That's <laughs> well, I'll, I think that you're you're very curious of mind when it comes to answering that question. So I'm going to give her credit for for being millennial. I think she wants to get one. there. Yeah. I, I, I want to get there. I'm yeah. so jealous when I'm in London and London, throttle. everybody's like in the tube, they're like tapping and I need to go with my 
Yeah, oysters. So I'm very jealous, but um, no, I'm not there yet. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, this one I think you're going to do well on, just given some of our other other people who played, um, who are also based in Israel. How many times in the last week have you ordered food or drinks from an app? Yeah, so I counted. Actually, it was two. Okay. Um, which is not a lot. I mean, I do you it for me. You prepped. I did. You prepped. I prepped. Of amazing. course. That's amazing. <laughs> I right. prepped. Uh, because for me, the, um, I mean, if I can go out, I'm happy to go out of the office, right? But um, the way I use the, the ordering through apps is if I can advance in that waiting line. So I can mm-hmm. pre-order and just go and pick it up. So it was only mm-hmm. twice this week, but um, it was a holiday in Israel. So I was with the kids for two days. I was not trying to advance anything else <laughs> to keep them all together. That's right. So for pre-ordering though, that's, that's, yeah. that's yes. kind of the main kind of generator for you. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, it's for pre-ordering. Okay, last question. If you could only use one social app, what would it be and why? Uh, does WhatsApp count? Because I live off WhatsApp. 100% it, it counts. Why do, you think it, why do you say that? Uh, because it's not social. And, you know, kind of I, I've listened. Again, I did my homework. So I've listened to other people saying kind of LinkedIn and Facebook. So no, not LinkedIn, not Facebook. I'm very bad with both. But really, literally, WhatsApp is my life. If you, look, if you could look at my yeah. uh, productivity on my iPhone. So it's like 60% WhatsApp. <laughs> That's the only way I to communicate it. today for me, at least. Yeah. That's absolutely. super social. I mean, it's mm-hmm. texting. It's totally social. We had somebody try to argue on a, I think it was a podcast recently that it's not really a social app. I would actually disagree with that. Yeah. I think it's incredibly a, a social app. It's a app. different way. Yeah. It's a yeah. different way to do social, but I have to say it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit desocializing me at right. least. Right. <laughs> I don't need to be nice. I'm like, oh, you just go do this. Oh man. <laughs> I have a bonus question for you today because you studied. So I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw a new one in there. Oh. All right. What is your favorite Pepsi product? Oh, oh my favorite Pepsi product. So I, I go for the classical kind of lace or walkers. It depends on which country you okay, want. Okay, sure. Top of chips yeah. if you're in Israel. The sure. classical one. So not the flaming, hot, um, <laughs> shrimpy, whatever. Yeah. Just the classical basic one. And again, my kids are so excited. Every time I tell them that I go to a kind of potato chips factory, they just ask for product. This is like the highlight. Um, <laughs> I bet. It, it's, the plants are cool. I don't know if you've ever visited, but you should like chips yeah. flying around. It's all very high tech. Yeah, I bet. That's also just like the standard Walker's potato chips. That's your, yes. that's your go-to. Yeah. That's It'd be your pretty signature. amazing if your mom just brought home potato chips all the time. I, I think I would, I would like to live in your house. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. I, I would actually love that. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes my frequent late night stack is just like, I take out a bowl and just a little thing of potato chips, you know, just like a serving or two. Yeah. Or three. Keeps me going. Yeah. Or no, five. no, no. I try not to eat the whole bag, but mm-hmm. it's always good. I like the salt and vinegar though. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of with Anna, but I like the little salt and vinegar twist. All right. All that's right. Well, hey. Product. It's crunchy. It's salty. What else do you need? Yeah, yeah. what's not to love? It's perfect. That was awesome. So, hey, if people are interested, they want to get in touch with you, they kind of want to learn more about what you're doing. I imagine there's a lot of ways people could connect with you that could be beneficial, especially with all of our listeners on the startup side that are, uh, you know, right. trying to investigate some of these things that you're, you're looking into. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you? So the best way to learn about PepsiCo Labs is through our website. Um, it's labs.pepsico.com. And you can also kind of um, send us an email through there. Um, shop talk. So hopefully when, when the world goes back to normal, <laughs> right. then shop talk, other conferences. Usually we are present there. Um, and 
you know, I'm in Israel. Just come and visit. Israel is so small. You'll probably see me on the street. <laughs> <laughs> we can test that it. it's beautiful and yes. definitely a place worth going to. So, well, hey, thank you so much. Anna Fabrov, the general manager of PepsiCo Labs. Again, one of our spotlight features here this week, highlighting all the great women across the retail products, packaged goods, excuse me, industry. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thank you both for having me. It was a pleasure. Like, great first experience. Yeah, I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> us too. Awesome. Us too. Yeah, we'd love to do it again sometime. Yeah, keep us in mind. And yeah, as things get going, we'd love to hear how it's progressing and, and talk more about it. So thanks so much for being with us. And as always, especially right now to everyone listening, be careful out there.